0: Well, amen. Great to see you this morning. We want to take our Bibles to uh, and turn to Galatians uh, chapter 5, and we're going to look at the power of the Holy Spirit this morning, the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we take our Bibles this morning, I'm really uh, very aware that as you come to church, you hear something from the Word, and you kind of compare it. If you're like me, you compare it to how you're actually living in your life. Not just how you're performing, that's just part of it, but also you look at other things in your life as far as how uh, things are happening in the Christian life for you. And sometimes we see a gap. We see a severe gap between what the Bible teaches and what we are living in ourselves. Some of you, for example, have a hard time overcoming maybe habits in your life, addictions in your life, and sin in your life. And uh, we want to be more like the rat. All right? Did you know that uh, you cannot use a rat trap more than one time? That's true. Because the rat will smell the blood on the rat trap from the previous rat and will not come even near that cheese no matter what brand you put on it. They just won't come. But you and I both know that we've seen uh, families devastated and churches devastated and personal lives devastated by certain things, but yet we go to it anyway. And we feel like we're a little powerless you know, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I'm going to the Father, and you wonder, where is the greater works? Maybe you feel like this guy uh, that we, Pam and I found uh, the other day, and we can just use that little uh, uh, jiffy lube thing. I hate, to, I hate to advertise things, but guys, if y'all could throw up that video. Yeah, there it is right there. Okay? And you can see this guy. He's almost almost getting there. Almost… Oh, oh. No. He's falling again. <laughs> oh, there he goes. He's almost there. Oh. There. You know, not quite… not quite there. And you feel that way. You feel like the wind's blowing through me now. I'm really going somewhere. You've really taken a step forward. You take two or three steps back. It's never… You never really seem to feel like you're getting there. Well as we are looking at this, we're asking ourselves, where are the greater works? Where is the power in the Christian life? And last week we said the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead actually lives in your heart today. But how can we apply that? How can we resource that power? And the answer is the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're looking at this. Paul is writing a letter to the church at Galatia. And this is one of the first books of the Bible the New Testament that was written. And as he's, he's writing this, this book is known primarily for legalism. And we often use it sometimes for saying, oh, you know, it's okay to go to the beach, you know, with any kind of bathing suit, and it's okay to, you know, uh, have a certain haircut because we don't want to get into legalism, and it's okay to dance, we don't want to get into legalism. That's not really what the book is talking about. When it's talking about being under the law, it's not talking about necessarily obeying laws, or it's not really referring to legalism, though you can apply it that way. We don't want to get into that. But uh, or into legalism. But really what the book is talking about is not adding to your salvation. So when it talks about being under the law in this book, it's talking about, hey, look, you were saved by grace. Don't try to add works to it. Don't try to muck it up by adding works. Now, as he's coming coming to Galatians chapter 5, he's about ready to tell us how the conflict is going on in the Christian life. And he he, uh, says in verse uh, 14 of chapter 5, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you do not consume one another. He finishes up in verse 26, he finishes up this chapter by saying, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so he begins with a relationship, ends with a relationship. Now he takes the opportunity to teach us how to get all this done, not just relationships, but period in the Christian life, understanding there's conflict going on and how to conquer that conflict through the power of the Holy Spirit. As we look at this, just two major points, the background, and then we're going to look at the battleground, because we need to understand just a little bit about the Holy Spirit before we get in too deep deep into the passage. It says in verse 16, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, what's he talking about when he's talking about the Spirit? The Spirit sometimes, sometimes in the Bible, means your own spirit. You know, the body, basically, I believe that the person is made up of body, soul, and spirit. And so, your spirit, when you're born into this world, at least when you sin against God, you're born, you suddenly become spiritually dead. And so there's a spirit there, but that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. If you walk by the Holy Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, as it looks, we look at this, look down in verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit of God, you are not under the law. So we, we come to that. Again, coming right back to being under the law. What, who is the Holy Spirit? The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is more than just an influence. He's not just a force. He is actually a person, the third person of the Trinity. Now, when we think about God, the Bible teaches that there is only one God, but there are three persons, three personalities within that God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but there are three and one. The the three are one. You think, well, that's very confusing. And there's no analogy, no illustration on the earth that can really explain that, but I came across something I thought was interesting. I think it's true. In my research, it looks like it's true, but I'm not a a scientist. But a typical light bulb has three different uh, elements or rays that come from it. One just gives off light. One gives off light and heat. One just gives off heat. But without all three of those coming together, they're all three separate, but without those coming together, you don't have light. You, You can't see anything nothing heats up they all work together as one uh, another analogy i'm i'm a father i'm also a son and i'm also a pastor now which or or a husband and or a grandson now which one is me well they're all three me and so we look at this and we say well where in the bible does it really say the holy spirit is god well just one example is in acts chapter 5 where Peter said, Ananias, why, have you, why has Satan filled your heart? He said, to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back yourself, for yourself <clears throat> part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Then he says this, you have not lied to, to man but to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. Then he comes back in the same passage and says you've lied to God. And so what we're talking about is not just a force that lives within us, we'll come to that in just a moment. We're talking about a person who has come to live within us. Jesus said, I must go up into heaven. I must go to my Father and I will send another comforter. One just like myself, that's what it means. Another, one just like myself, and the Spirit of Christ And here's what he says. He says, when the spirit of truth, Jesus said, comes, he will guide you to all truth. So who is the guide? Who is our counselor? Who is our comforter? Who is the one that convicts us of sin? Who is the one that draws us to God through uh, the salvation experience? It is the Bible teaches the Holy Spirit. Now, why do we need him? A little background again. Why do we need him? Well, again... The Holy Spirit of God brings the Christian life to our heart. It's been said, what the Father planned for you, God the Son purchased for you. And God the Holy Spirit personalizes for you. And so God comes into our heart in the person of of the Holy Spirit in order to guide us to all truth and to give us power in the Christian life. Now, here's something very interesting I found years ago. Before the age of 30, as far as the Scriptures are concerned, and as far as history is concerned as well, Jesus never performed a miracle. But after the age of 30, of course, he, the, John says he performed so many miracles, there's no amount of books in the world that could all contain it. And So what happened at the age of 30? If you remember the story, Jesus began his ministry by going to the Jordan River and being baptized by John the Baptist. Well, as he was baptized by John the Baptist, he came up out of the water. A voice came from heaven, the Father, and said, Behold, this is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. After that, the next three and a half years, he made a beeline for the cross. He was committing himself to die on the cross for us. But what happened when, that Holy, when the Holy Spirit came upon him, the Bible says basically he started doing all kinds of miracles. And so I'm saying we can read a lot into this. Maybe you don't necessarily agree with it, but the Bible says this about Jesus. Paul said, who, meaning Jesus, though he himself was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped or to hang on to, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, he emptied himself. And we don't know all what that means. But it is, I don't think it's coincidental at all, that he did nothing before the Holy Spirit came upon him. And so why, why is that important to you and I? Why did God want us to see it that way? Because the same Holy Spirit that descended upon Jesus like a dove, that led him to do all the works that he did, that same Holy Spirit lives in the heart of every Christian you have the potential of having the power not only to live the Christian life, but to do something that really makes a difference in life as well. Well, we've seen the background. What about the battleground? Let's look back to our passage. And uh, Paul knows this is crucial. In fact, let me just say this. You really can't understand what's going on in your Christian life until you understand this passage. And here's what it says. But if I say, walk by the Spirit... You will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So there's a conflict here. The Bible says that the flesh is warring against the spirit, and the spirit is warring against the flesh. And it really, it seems obvious to anyone reading this passage, there's two, two entities going on fighting against one another. Now, why is the Christian life so different from being, uh, as far as practicality, living your life, why is it so different from being just a lost person, one that is outside of Christ? Well, when you're outside of Christ, you have one nature. And that one nature is unified together in self-centeredness. Now, there's no doubt about that. We can see the selfishness of man. And even when we do good deeds, even when we do good things, they're often, in fact, I would say, you know, not wanting to fight with you or anything, they're all done through selfish motives. And, uh, and we never get rid of that. Because what happens the very moment that we receive Christ, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. Now we have two natures warring against one another. And the secret to Christian growth is basically getting rid as much as possible of the old flesh, though it never goes away until we get to heaven, and and expand the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, the the reason I bring this out, the reason Paul brings this out, he's telling the church at Galatia, he said, it really never goes away because there's always the conflict that is going on uh, within us. Uh, For example... You remember the story of uh, Rocky. I, I brought this illustration out a time or two. You know, yo, Adrian. <laughs> you know, <laughs> how, how, how you doing? Uh, so, but he said, he told his, his uh, coach, manager, he says, I want to go 15 rounds with Apollo Creed so everybody will realize I'm not a bum. How much do we do in life that we want people to look upon us in a good way, or we just want to feel good about something? Uh, think about Somebody says, well, I'm feeding the homeless, and that makes me feel so good. So what do you do? You go and feed maybe the homeless and, and, and you're the soup kitchen, and you're putting the potatoes and, and the chicken on the, on the plate and giving it to them. And you think, oh, man, this is so good. This is such great ministry. Why do you do that? So, well, I, I do it for them. Oh, yeah? Can you name one of them? Have you talked to any one of them to find out why they're homeless? Have you tried to help each, any one of the individuals at all? No, you know, usually that doesn't happen. You just maybe just go on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday afternoon, you might feed the homeless, and this is a good deed. No doubt about it at all. But even Christian people struggle with why I'm doing it. Oh, I feel so good. Hey, listen. And you say, well, preachers are the same way. Well, you got it. We are. Why do we do, I, I don't know how many times I've heard this phrase. Have you ever heard this I just love to preach the Word of God. I've heard that all my life. Why do you like to preach, love to preach God's Word? Well maybe it's because you get a pump when you do it. Maybe it's because you're the center of attention. Or maybe you do it and prepare so much because you're afraid of making an idiot out of yourself. The last thing you want to do is that. I I have a video here of somebody who uh, made um, YouTube. One of the pastors at Easter, let's, let's kind of roll that and I'll, I'll show you what I mean. And so this is what God has done. He has taken our greatest enemy, isn't that cool? He has taken our greatest enemy, death, and he said, and listen, don't be fooled today into thinking you're never going to die. Unless the rapture comes, this might come as a shock to you, but the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die you are going to die. Great news for Easter, right? And that brings us to a certain element of anxiety. But although we're going to experience a time, oh. Man, they left off the best part. They ran it in reverse several times. You can watch that on, on video if you like. You know, the moral to the story is you better rehearse that kind of stuff. And, and don't put a bottom in, in the casket, you know, so you, you won't turn over. But, you know, people do that. They say, oh, you know, I, I, don't want, I want to be really, really, really prepared. Now, so all I'm saying is there's a struggle that goes on even with good works. Now, the desires of the flesh, the things that we do that we shouldn't do, are certainly there. But even the desires to do good things… Poor motive sometimes. And the battle rages on within us. There's a conflict between the old and the new man being opposed to one another. What is the solution? The solution is the Holy Spirit of God to come to live inside of our heart and to guide us in our life, to empower us in our life to overcome over a period of time the flesh and have more and more and more of the Spirit of God and the victorious Christian life in our life. Now, What happens? Well, you receive the Holy Spirit, but there's something else even to that. He talks about walking in the Spirit. We'll get to in just a moment. But how do you receive the Holy Spirit? Notice it says in verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What does it mean to be? Now, when we think about being led by the Spirit, we think about being guided. Wow, you know, if I'm just guided by the Spirit, then I'm not under the law. But when you look in the Bible at Paul's writings, and that's so important to do because different writers phrase things in a little bit different way. And the writer uh, here in Romans, same writer, said this. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. And so, for you and I to be Christians, we must have the Spirit of God. But here's what he says, Romans 8, 14, for all who are led, same thing, same word, same phraseology in this book in Galatians, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, children of God, better phraseology. They're children of God, and so when Paul says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, he's saying, look, you're you're not under the obligation of law in order order to be saved. You don't have to work your way to salvation. If you are led by the Spirit of God, you are a Christian. That's what he's talking about here. So the very moment that you and I receive Christ into our heart, we become a believer in Christ. I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read this to you. And you were dead in your transgressions, trespasses, and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, one nature, following the prince of the power of the air, listening to the devil. The spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience, those who are not believers, among whom you also lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by children of wrath, By nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, but God being, but, everything turns on this word, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace we have been saved. Paul is saying, look, we were dead. We only had that one nature. We were our spirit within us was, was dead. But the Holy Spirit of God at the very moment of salvation came to live inside of our life, inside of our heart, which we said is the causal core of who we are. That's the heart. Mentioned over 960 times in the Bible. It's who you are on the inside. He says, the moment the spirit of Christ comes into to live in our, our heart, our old spirit is ignited by the Holy Spirit and we become alive in Jesus Christ. That means we're forgiven of all of our sin. That means that we have our ticket punched to heaven. That means we have the power of Christ living inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And with all this going on, you think, well, yeah, but I, I don't experience that power every day. The, the flesh continually, continually seems to win out. I'm not doing great work. So, okay, I have the Holy Spirit, but how can I have the Holy Spirit without the Holy Spirit really fulfilling and filling and giving me the fullness of God in my life? But it happens, doesn't it? It happens. And so, we receive the Holy Spirit when we're saved, but we release the power of the Holy Spirit when we are filled. Again, Paul in the book of Ephesians says this, and do not be drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Here he mentions in verse 17, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Hey, look, you want to serve God. You want to to do the right things. But yet, something within you, you feel like is keeping you from doing it. Well, it's the flesh that's pulling against the Spirit. It's Satan tempting the flesh to do something that you ought not to do, or you fail to do something that you ought to do that's going to help you, convincing your mind of one thing, convincing your mind you can always get forgiveness. Whatever Satan is talking to you, he's pulling at the flesh. But he says, if you want if you want God's power in your life, you've got to be filled. Now here's this verse is basically saying, again, don't be drunk with wine, but as the man is controlled by the wine, as he staggers back and forth and his speech is slurred, you be that controlled by the spirit of God. Now in this passage, in this word filled, it has the Greek picture of a man being out on a of people being out on a sailboat and the wind filling the sail. The wind is always there. But now the boat is turned in such a way that the wind is filling the sail, and they're moving forward. Here's what it's talking about. It says, you surrender your life to God, and He's going to fill you. Now, listen, this is confusing to a lot of people. You know, we talk about the lordship of Christ, And we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and and some people have a little problem with that because, after all, in in the Greek, in Ephesians 5, it tells us to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit, which is the same thing as what Paul is saying in Galatians by walking in the Spirit. He says if you're going to walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you're filled with the Spirit, you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. But we have a problem with that. Here's how to divide this up. On the one hand... I surrender, meaning I or you, I surrender my heart to Christ each and every day for Him to be Lord of my life, for Him to be on the throne of my life. The results of that is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because I've surrendered my heart to Christ on a daily basis, have forgiveness of my sin, and, and put Him first in my life, I am then filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I was first filled, and you were first filled by the Holy Spirit the very moment that you received Christ into your heart. I mean, you, had, you remember how that was, right? I mean, just what this, these verses they're saying of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Hey, listen, when I, when I received Christ, I had peace in my heart. When I, when I received Christ, I had joy like I'd never felt before in my entire life. I loved everybody. But the problem is we're filled when we're saved, but the problem is we leak, right? We leak. The Bible says there's two ways that we sin against the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30. That is, we do things that we shouldn't do. Or 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 says we quench the Holy Spirit. We fail to do what He wants us to do. And you say, well, it's impossible for you to have the Holy Spirit and not be filled, you know, or, or not be useful to you. Well, I, I remember when I was growing up, and this is not, by the way, physically correct, but have you ever had a limb? Everybody here's had a limb go to sleep, right? You know, you've had something go to sleep on you. And we used to say, when I was a kid, my, my brother and sister and I used to say, well, the blood's run out of your arm, you know, and you can't feel it. But that's not true, you have blood in your arm. I remember being home from college, and my, I got up to eat breakfast with my parents, just, just you know, because I want to be a blessing to them. And, uh, and I wanted eggs and bacon, <laughs> and toast, and pancakes. But anyway, um, I got up, to, they, they go off to work, and I'm there by myself. Well, I'm sleepy. I lay my head down on the table, kitchen table, remember it like it was yesterday. And you know what happens, right? Your arms go to sleep, and there's a big circle right there, red circle, where you down like this. Well, the phone rang, and it was one, I know this is, this is taking you back, but it was not a cell phone. It was a rotary phone on the wall, okay? And it was it's just right there. I got up from the kitchen table, I walked over, and there it was hanging on the wall. But the problem was, I couldn't move my arms. You know, I tried to answer the phone... But they, and, and then of course, when the blood came running back, it was, ugh, it was all tingly, you know? It kind of hurt. But it could have been Publisher's Clearinghouse, and I just won all that money, and I'll, just, I'll never know. I'll never know how my life would have changed if I could answer that phone. But the problem was, there was still blood in my arms. It, it, it just wasn't flowing, it wasn't active. Um, I don't, maybe you have different health problems. I praise God that, for example, I don't have high blood pressure. That's the one thing that I don't have, you know? But, you know, a lot of you, or maybe like me, you kind of battle with the triglycerides or the cholesterol, one of the two. And, you know, when you think about the triglycerides running through your blood, it's kind of gross, isn't it? Little fatty things running through your blood. And then the cholesterol kind of hardens that, and then it it stops up the flow of blood. You still have blood in your heart, by the way. It just can't get anywhere because it's all stopped up with all the plaque, well, the triglycerides are kind of like the sin in our life. Everybody has some, but here's the, here's the key. Go ahead and repent of it. Make it right and get back on the path of lordship of Christ. But when you don't, it's like the cholesterol. The lack of repentance hardens the sin. And now we're no longer filled. Now there needs to be some repentance and desire in our heart. In fact, maybe the desire is gone to serve the Lord. The desire is gone to, to read the Bible. You're just doing it because you, you, you've always done it. The Bible says in the filling of the Spirit, we surrender to the Lordship of Christ. And what happens? It's like John 15, it's the vine and the branches illustration. The Bible says Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And what it doesn't bring out in that passage, if, if I can just add to it just for a moment, just the illustration the Holy Spirit is like the sap that runs through the tree. It runs through the tree and the vine, through the branches, and produces the fruit on the vine. And when you and I are healthy, the Spirit of God can work His power in our life. Now, we look at it, and we understand this happens at salvation, but we leak, and we have to be refilled. I remember the, the most, uh, besides salvation, the biggest night that's ever happened in my spiritual life. Uh, I had been reading the Bible, and I'll, I'll share this at uh, dinner with the pastor about how I received Christ. But um, let, me, let me just take you beyond that just a little bit. I was sitting at a meeting of Campus Crusader Christ at Memorial Hall, University of Georgia, And um, it's right outside Sanford Stadium. It's the first building to the left. It's no longer the Student Center, but it was then. Student Center, we we met there on the floor in one of the big ballrooms, I guess they called it. And um, these students, as well as a a few staff members, got up and started talking about the Spirit-filled life. I had been reading the Bible, just got through the book of Matthew, and I felt really good about it. I mean, I felt proud of myself. And I felt just, just enlightened, like I've never been before. I just enjoyed reading it so much. And I came to this meeting in January thinking to myself, well, I'm really looking for something now. And these people that I thought were kind of faking it aren't faking it. There's they're, the real stuff. I mean, some were faking it, I'm sure. But most of them weren't faking it. And they got up and started talking about the Spirit-filled life. And I said, God, that's what I want. That's what I must be missing. And so I prayed that God would fill me with the Holy Spirit. And maybe this doesn't fit totally into your theology, but I'm just telling you, and I, I could be talking. You could have said, "Yeah," but you started reading the Bible after this, right? Yeah, I did. I, I continued to read the Bible. I continued to serve. In fact, I served more. I started sharing my faith. I can add all that to it. But I'm just telling you, from that moment on, my spiritual life went to a new level, and I never turned back. Never turned back. Have I always been filled. No, but something happened to my life that night when I realized the power of the Holy Spirit in my life was real and I understood who the Holy Spirit was. Well, we realize it when we're filled, but then the power, rather, is realized every day in a practical sense when we walk continually in the Spirit. Let's look in verse uh, 24. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's also keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step in following Him. As we look at this, we see three basic things, and I'm going to close with this, three basic things. One is the power to be. Look with me at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, notice it's singular, all these things up above it, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, revelries, dissensions, and divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a a contrast here. Those who practice these kind of things are not saved. That's what he's saying. They've given no evidence of their salvation. However. However, he says, and, and by the way, these are the works, that's plural. You can have one of those works without having another one of those works, but the fruit is singular. So you get it all together. And he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's loving someone without a claim, that you're gonna be loved in return. You're gonna have a joy that is a delight in God Himself, a peace that's free from guilt, that's inner tranquility. You're going to have patience. In other words, you're, not, you're, not going to, you're going to be patient, you're going to suffer without bitterness in your life. You're going to be kind. It talks about, uh, you know, kindness. What, what is, that's being nice. That's just coming to church and being nice to people and not uh, maybe saying, uh, you know, that's my seat. Or it's, it's being, uh, going through a drive-through window and being nice to the people there. It's being nice to a person in a store. It's being nice to the person who works on your house. It's being kind. Goodness, faithfulness, that idea of faithfulness, somebody you can count on, reliable. Gentleness has to do with humility of heart and self-control, of course. Against such there is no law. There's no laws about this. You, you do it because you, you have desire, because you have a power to do this, and you know that it's not a rule. You're going to do it whether it's a rule or not. He says, the fruit of the Spirit, the power to be in our life. One thing, real quickly. Fruit is not only singular, but it starts off small. You know? Maybe that apple, that orange starts off small and it gets bigger and bigger and riper and riper until it's ready to pick and eat. And by the way, you don't have fruit in your life to look at. You have fruit to eat. But it gets bigger and bigger. So here's the question. Are you walking in the Spirit? How do you know? Well, are you more loving than you were, say, a couple of years ago? With other people looking at your life, could they say, you know, there's more joy in your life than, than you had five years ago? You seem to have more peace than you had three years ago. You see, it all grows together, maybe, maybe a little bit differently, but it, all's gr- it all grows together as one. It's the fruit of the Spirit in your life. It's how you have the power to live what is in the Bible. And the struggle's always going to be there. Sometimes you're not going to do what you want to do. Sometimes you're going to have to go back and repent of their, your sin. And I, I, I don't know why God leaves it that way, except for in the struggle, there's maturity. And in struggle, there's humility, knowing we cannot do it without the Spirit of God. He's going to give us the power to do, to keep in step with the Spirit. You shall receive power, and the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses. John Stott, great theologian, said this, we must be, oh, beware of any claim to fullness of the Spirit that does not lead to evangelistic concerns and outreach. He said, but that's hard. This witness tree thing we've got going on, man, I, every time I pass that, somebody says I feel a little guilty or whatever. Nobody's told me that, but I'm sure that you feel that way. It's a reminder of what we need to be doing. You say it's hard, but I'll remind you, as I have before, when we put a man on the moon, John Kennedy, John Kennedy our, the president at that time, said, we don't do things because they're easy. We do them what? Because they are hard. That's what builds character in your life. That, that's what's going to build faith in your life. When you go outside your comfort zone, outside of the flesh and do something, even if it embarrasses you. Even if you're like me, you go to a, a mobile home park and talk to a, a high school uh, mate and a friend, and he's married now, and you haven't seen him maybe uh, to talk to him except for just in passing for a couple of years, and you bring out a gospel track, and you're there just to share Christ with him. And the, the track is shaking like, like this, because I was so nervous, just like many of you are. But you don't do it because it's easy. You do it as a challenge because it's hard. And the Holy Spirit will give you the power to do that and to overcome in your life. Listen, in this passage, just overall in this passage, you're, con- you're conflicted. You're fighting against the-, the flesh and the spirit. And which one, which one is going to win? Which one is going to win out? Well, most of you here would not, and I know this is an outrageous illustration, I suppose, but most of you here probably wouldn't kill someone no matter how bad you felt about them. You probably wouldn't. It's just not in you to do that. But there are some deterrents to murder in our nation and in the world. In our nation, in many states, you get caught, you get placed in jail, and then you get executed yourself. Another deterrent is life imprisonment. There's deterrence there. And you look at it and say, well, is this really worth it? You know, I'm going to go out here and kill somebody. Or somebody else says, well, I'm going to uh, cheat on someone or I'm going to cheat on my ta- tax. Tax is coming up. Tax season. I'm going to cheat on my taxes or I'm going to do this. Is it worth it? You, you weigh that even in the flesh. Now, here's the thing. When the Spirit's warring against the flesh, the flesh against the Spirit, you think, wow, I've got this love in my heart for Jesus and for others, it says right here in verse 14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I have peace in my heart that I never had before. I have, I've got really joy in my heart. Now, I'm walking in the Spirit, and I have all this. Do I want to give that up to do a work of the flesh? Do I want to do that in order to, so I can, I, I'll gossip, I'll lose all this, but I'm going to go ahead and gossip anyway because it's worth it. Or I'm going to go ahead and slander something because it, it's just worth it. Or I'm not going to read my Bible because I just don't want to, and I'm not going to get involved in legalism. I just, But, you know, I'm, I'm giving up all this relationship, and this is going to fade away. No, you, you weigh it, and you say, I, I just can't, I can't possibly give this up. And you become an overcomer through the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of a renewed mind. I love uh, the illustration, and some, there's five or six illustrations I've probably given uh, dozens of times, and I've sort of hung my ministry on them in a little bit, the three chairs, the baseball diamond, if you are familiar with that one. If not, you'll get it in the membership class. But one of the things is that old Eskimo that comes down from um, the mountains every Saturday to have a dog fight. He has a black dog, he has a white dog, they fight together, everybody bets, and uh, Sometimes a black dog wins, sometimes a white dog wins, but the Eskimo always wins, the bets. Now I'm not advocating dogfighting. I'm just saying it's just a story. Well he's going back up in the mountain one day, and a young guy kind of follows him and he says, "You know, I don't get it. Every Saturday you come down here, we do the same thing. The whole town's involved in are a lot of people in the town. Sometimes your white dog wins, sometimes your black dog wins, but you always seem to know which one's going to win." He says, "How do you know?" And the old Eskimo said, well, the one who wins on Saturday is the one that I feed all week. So which one are we feeding? I tell you, when I was that night at Campus Crusade for Christ, I can't explain everything, uh, the logistics to it all, the physical stuff. I just know that I surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ that night, and the result was I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I've never looked back. Is that your desire today? You have to want it. And I stood there that night and I said, God, I want this more than anything else in my life. I'm willing to give up anything, any sin in my life, any wrong ambition of my life. This is what I need tonight and forever. Would you be willing to say that today? How much is it worth? As you're weighing everything, weighing against the flesh and the spirit, how badly do you want the Holy Spirit to win? With heads bowed and eyes closed, the quietness of this moment, would you right now, just by faith, say to the Lord, Lord, I want the filling of the Holy Spirit in my life. And if you don't want it, would you pray that God would give you the desire for that? God, I want the Spirit of God to fill my life. Maybe you've been filled before, but you've leaked. You want it afresh and anew. And even say, God, I want it in such a way that is so real that I never look back, that this would be a turning point in my life. We're going to sing a song of invitation in just a moment. And as we sing, I'm going to invite you to come to the altar and just simply say to the Lord, Lord, Lord. I want to be filled with the Spirit of God today. I want that life-changing spiritual event so I can go to a whole new level in my walk with you.